Welcome to Mercedes Second Chance Podcast, where we share real life stories about addiction, getting clean and being given a second chance. Hello, my name is Mercedes Whitecath. Welcome to the Mercedes Second Chance Podcast. And today we're in here um, having a conversation um, we're going to tell you a little bit about what this podcast is about um, and kind of what brought me and you together and um, why I wanted to do a podcast at all. My name is uh, Ezel Watson. Ezel Watson, uh, Portlander now for the last 10 years, uh, native to Birmingham, Alabama. All right. So um, I'm native here to Portland, Oregon. I was actually born in Eugene, Oregon, but um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, Northeast. So this is what I call home. Um, and I'll just start a, a little bit about my story. Um, I'm half Native American, half black. Um, mm -hmm. And I was raised by an Oglala Sioux woman. She was from the Pine Ridge uh, Reservation in South Dakota. And she was a really prideful woman. She ran away when she was 13 years old. She went to boarding school and she had... Um, she experienced a lot of abuse from the boarding school and, um, and at home and in every sense of the way you can experience abuse. And one of the things I think that she carried with her is, and to this day, I still do sometimes, um, I'll scrub myself like really, really hard. Right. Cause when I was little, my mom used to make me scrub really hard, but she also told me when she was in boarding school, they would tell her that, you know, if she scrubbed hard enough, she could get the brown off. Mm. And um, and I think that instilled a sense of like loathing, self-loathing and hate and stuff like that. But um, but my mom, you know, she was a beautiful person and I love her so much. Um, but what I will say is that my upbringing was pretty tough because she I don't really know when she got addicted to heroin, but I know that she became an active um, intravenous user um, for as long as I can remember. She didn't get off until I was 13. And so my. I, I did have a good mom. You know, she kept a roof over my head. She was there. But a lot of my childhood was I seen spoons and needles and, you know, we didn't have school clothes and food. And um, or if we did have food, it was like food box food. And it was like fix it yourself. Um, I was always roaming the neighborhood looking for my mom because she was always out looking for a hit, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember thinking really young, like, I want to die. I don't like this life. And I, I couldn't have been more than eight years old. And um, and I would talk to my mom about it. But what I will say, I think, is that my mom, she definitely instilled in me a lot of pride. You know, yeah. when um, when I was little, she would always tell me this story about um, Crazy Horse. And he was from our tribe. And he was like, I would say like our Jesus. He was definitely, he loved his people. He was for his people. He was like, he'll go fight front line, you know, against the government for his land and to make sure that they didn't kill off his people. And um, she let us know that in the end he was killed by his own people, you know? And I remember her saying that um, when they killed him in the tent, they were stabbing him. And he said, basically in Sue, like, can't you see my brother? I'm already dead. You don't have to kill me anymore. Mm. Even saying that it chokes me up, you know? And, um, and I remember my mom telling me things like, you know, imagine being, you know, having, being hunted, you know, and being chased, and having a child, you're holding the hand of a child and another one in your arm. Like, that's where we come from, you know? And so that kind of strength helped me say, okay, 
whatever I was going through, my mom would always remind me of those stories. And she was like, so it ain't that bad, you know? Right. And, um, and, and she didn't have any time for sitting on the pity potty. That's what she would say. So, um, I kept a lot of pain inside though, you know, and I didn't have a lot of, um, friends. I had a couple, but I was, I was that ragged kid that they'd be like, they'd come with school clothes and stuff like that. And then they'd say like, Mercedes, why you ain't got no school clothes? You Mm -hmm. know? And my mom, she's from the reservation. She don't know. You know, she's like, does it cover your body? Okay. Put it on. Stop complaining. You know, there's other people in the other country that don't have any clothes, you know, and they're freezing. And so, um, but I don't think she realized the toll it was taking on me and she was sick in her disease as well. So wait, 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 wait. We, we talked about a lot just now. I want to make sure I'm tracking. You telling me about your childhood, Mm -hmm. right? And I heard you talk about, I heard you talk about your mom being a half black. No, my mom is full blood native. I'm half black. Okay. You're half black. My father's black. Your father's, your father's black. Mm -hmm. Your So who was half black, half native? That's me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so your mother was full blown native. Full blood native, yeah. You mentioned something about a reservation just now. Yeah. As if to say like that's where you grew up. No, that's where she grew up. Okay, that's that's where she grew up. But it okay. was like she always talked about it. That was my mom really she had a rough time on the reservation. Our reservation is like third world poor. You know, and poverty comes with so many other things just from scarcity of resources. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um and so she really spent the last 50 years, 55 years responding to what happened to her those first 10. Mm. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. it was tough. So, um and she told stories. My mom was a storyteller, so I felt like I was there. I could I could see what it was like. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, and I don't want to like just put it all on my mom and my childhood. I want to kind of go into a little bit more about, you know, where that took me. I just wanted to say how that affected me. Uh, and uh, so affected you how? Cuz I think like we talking about like I know you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I wonder, like, what what kind of story are you telling me right now? Okay, so um, so I'm just you know I'm laying the groundwork. So this is how I grew up, right? Okay. Um, so my idea was, okay, how do I get out of here? And my my teachers, they always poured into me. They were like, Mercedes, you're really smart. You can go to college. And when I was 13 years old, my mom got off of here when she got clean. And then I went to um, high school. And they told me, you know, you can graduate and you can go to college, you can get a degree and you can have money in a car, and you can buy a house. And that was always my dream was to buy a house, buy my mom a house, because she was serious about having land, you know, especially being Native American. Mm-hmm. And um, how can you be Native American and, you know, original inhabitant of this land and not have any? Um, and so I went to school and I just, you know, poured myself into school. And what ended up happening is I got a full ride scholarship. Um, I was a Bill Gates scholar and I got a scholarship to the University of Oregon. And then I went there. But all that trauma went with me. And so although, the you know, there was those accolades and um, I I was able to flourish as a student, you know, I didn't I had unresolved trauma, untreated trauma. And what I didn't know is I had um, that little bug of addiction like my mom did. And I got on Adderall because I was. um experiencing you know just some ADHD stuff and mental health and when they did that um I mean one of the worst things you can do is give like an opiate or an amphetamine to an addict because we we don't know when to stop we'll take it and when everybody else stops you know and they're they're doing it as prescribed we won't stop and um that's what happened to me so it ended up taking me about eight years to graduate um and get that four-year degree hey what does an Adderall addiction look like 
So for me, that was just um, staying up all night, writing papers, thinking like, oh, this is great. This is so brilliant. My professors are going to be so impressed and, um, and feeling good, you know, and then waking up in the morning and being like, what is this that I wrote, you know, um, and, and failing, like just failing class after class. And, um, and when I came in there, you know, my first paper I wrote handwritten and my professor laughed at me because I didn't know I, we came from a school. I came from a school that had, they didn't have a lot of resources, so we didn't type papers, you know, and, um, Adderall made me feel like that great student, like the smartest student, you know, and I abused it and I would get kicked out of school, you know, for academic, um, disqualification. And then I'd go back and, um, get back in, but I would never want to leave Eugene because I was ashamed to go back home and tell my family I had failed as a student. So what I did was I lived in my car and, um, I would park on the outskirts of town and I would go to community college online, um, and every day I would go to the YMCA for a dollar fifty. You can go and work out. But what I would do is I would shower, you know, and get ready for school and go to the library and do it all over again. And I ended up doing that my senior year too, so that I could graduate from college. From from college in my senior year, I remember them telling me, you know, it's 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 crazy that you got in again after three um, academic disqualifications because we don't, you know, allow that. And so um, if you want to graduate from this university, you're going to need to finish 60 credits, the 60 that you have with at least um, a B average. And, um, and, and yeah, or you're going to have to transfer to PSU or another university. And so I was like, oh man, I haven't, I've never even done um, 12 credits and got a, a C average. And so 60 credits for one year really means 20 credits a term. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I did, that was the amazing thing. You know, that's what started this whole, like, okay, I, you know, there's something to this. And, um, and I had partly went back to get my degree for my mom. She wanted me to get a degree cause nobody in my family had done it. And so I, um, I graduated with a 4.025 GPA okay. and, and I got a degree and then I got a um, job at a law firm and, um, and then they were like, okay, when you make this amount of money and you just graduated college, you can go lease a brand new car. So then I did that. Now where I come from, we didn't even really own cars, you know? Um, and so, and so I felt like I had really arrived. Um, but this whole time I'm still on Adderall and I'm still kind of self-medicating. And what I ended up doing was when I got there, I felt like, well, I thought I'm supposed to be happy. I got the American dream life. I've graduated. I got this job at this prestigious law firm. I have a car, but I feel almost empty inside because now I have no hope. And I started experimenting with powder oh, cocaine. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what I want to yeah, hear yeah. a little bit more about. Okay. Telling me about. So the yeah, I, I experimented with powder cocaine and it was like the best. When I, the first time I took a first hit, I was like, Oh, this is what I've been missing. And you would think that because my mom was an addict that I, I would, I wouldn't use. And I always said, but I thought as long as I don't use needles, I'm okay. You know? And, um, and I just went further and further into my addiction until one day I said, okay, um, I had this idea. Now I'm probably a mania and a bunch of other stuff. I'm on Adderall cocaine. I decide I'm going to go to Los Angeles because Oprah is in Los Angeles and she does all the self-help and I like it and she's going to hire me and I'm going to get discovered as an actress and, and, you know, my life is about to pick up. I'm going to blow up. Right. And so, uh, so I pack up my car and I just go and move to Los Angeles with a little bit of money. I had, I'm behind like six months in the car payment. That's another reason I left. Cause I didn't want them to come repossess my car. So okay. I was like, if I go to LA, make some money, you know, give me a minute to mm -hmm. readjust. And so I got down there and uh, what ended up happening is I landed in South central. I took a, a exit on, I think it was a 10 freeway 
and it said Manchester. Now I hadn't read, um, I hadn't watched Boys in the Hood or South Central or any of those things, so I don't know anything about it. I know it looked rough, you know. And um, I stopped and I got gas at something that said the Hoover Street gas station. And I thought, oh, you know, we got a gang back home um, called Hoover. I wonder, does that have anything to do with this? Because mm-hmm. I'm totally green. I don't know. And um, and I remember there was a body being taken. Um, there was a helicopter all during this time. And uh, my main concern was finding some some drugs, some, some dope to... Uh, to uh, get high and I seen this guy and he had like a, ta- a H tattooed on his forehead. He had uh-huh. teardrops coming on both eyes, uh-huh. um, tattoos all over his neck. Um, you could visibly see he was armed and dangerous. Um, and I thought, Oh, he's so fine. Like that's going to be my man. Like, cause my, I still was like going with that Hollywood dream. Like, Oh man, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, you know, I'm going to be one of those girls that gets, you know, lands one of them. And he looked like that to me and he looked like he knew where to get drugs. And um, I ended up three days moving in at three days after uh, meeting him. I moved in with him and, and he did. He gave me what I thought was powder cocaine, but what I, he was really giving me was methamphetamine. And he wasn't telling me that. And by the time I realized what I was on, I was so far gone. He had totaled that brand new car. Um, I didn't know he had just got released from um, doing manslaughter in prison. He did 13 years. So. Wait, I want to make sure I'm listening correctly. <laughs> so, because because what I, what I heard you say is you already had uh, been using Adderall, abusing Adderall mm-hmm. uh, while in college at, uh, in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you went back mm-hmm. to college. It, it sounded like you were you had left for a while at being on academic, uh, being disqualified academically. Right. And then you went back and in one term, one year, mm-hmm. you completed 60 course credits in, in, and obtained your degree. Right. All still, though, let me ask, were you still using Adderall that, at the time? The la- about the latter half of that, um, that year, I did use it. And one thing I forgot to mention, um, how I did, I think I did so well is, um, so I talked about being like, um, well, earlier we and you were talking, um, I was a non-believer. I didn't believe in God. I didn't want nothing to do with him because mm-hmm. I was like, man, I was molested. My life was messed up. You know, I was beat up. All these things as a kid. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want nothing to do with God because what kind of God would allow that and allow my mom to be molested and, you know, and come from the reservation and all those things. And so um, I had um, decided I was going to kill myself one day. And um, I've been disqualified from school. My rent was due. I had an eviction on my door. And um, I had looked, I was on my laptop and I said, okay. And I typed in how to kill yourself successfully. Because I had attempted suicide at the age of 8 and 16 unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. And so when I did, um, I went to this website and it said how to kill yourself successfully. And so I went on the website and they would just keep on leading me to like uh, click this, click that, click that. And then finally it got to the bottom and it was like, all right, if you want to kill yourself successfully, click here. And then it was like, if you're reading this right now, um, it's because God wants me to let you know that he loves you. And I know that because I was in the same place as you. I once wanted to end my life, and I felt like the world was better off without me, and I didn't want to wake up another day as myself. Mm -hmm. And um, God has a plan for you, and he loves you, you know. And I knew then. So that day I just, I gave my life to God and I started listening to like T.D. Jakes and Joyce Meyer and, you know, just all these self-help things. And um, that's what made me go back to school. And I would listen to it in the car and I would um, 
on my way to school, like I just fed my brain only positive stuff because I knew I had to get that degree. I knew I had my mom counting on me. I knew everything was riding on it. And I felt like I was going to cave in at any moment. And God carried me each way. And that evidence was um, me graduating because the devil will play with you. You know, the devil told me like, Mercedes, when I get done with you, you're going to be living in your car as an old lady and they're going to find you dead. You'll never graduate. And so when I graduated, it was like that story can never happen because I graduated college. You know what I mean? Even if I do end up in a car again, I graduated. And that voice must be a lie because it said I wouldn't graduate, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So fast forward back. That's why I wanted to, you know, go work for Oprah and stuff. Because I was like, I got a story, too. You know, and I'm all about, you know, positive motivation and stuff like that. And um, but what, you know, I ended up just running the streets with that guy. He was a Hoover, um, a Hoover Crip and. We were living in and out of motels, and then it went from just living in abandoned buildings and just doing dope, smoking dope, snorting dope. Like, um, I had lost. I got, I'm got i 5'10". I got down to about 122 pounds, mm-hmm. and he was really abusive, um, and he forced me to have a baby. He took away my, um, my birth control, and then he wouldn't let me out of his sight, you know, and I had such a strong habit, habit for that drug that, I, you know, I, I, was like, I was like a slave. And so, wait, wait, wait. He forced you to have a baby. Yeah. So you're a mother now too? No. So I got a, uh, I got an abortion because um, at five months I ran away from him and, um, and he just told everybody like, you know, uh, he called me a white girl. He was like, you know, uh, that white girl's the police, you know, y'all got the green light on her so that people would attack me. You know, we in South central. So people die every day. And so um, they were like, you got the green light. And they did. I, I got whooped on plenty of times, you know, because of that. And I was just so hurt that I'm experiencing all those things and he's, you know, doing who knows what. And he, he started all this. And the whole time my mom was like, come home, Sadie's like, you know, I know you're not doing good. I love you. Just please come home. And um, eventually I did. My uncle died and I came home to visit and she must've known. Well, one, I came back without my car mm-hmm. and, um, and I, and I stayed for a month and, um, and then my dad had given me a car like a little, a little hoopty. And, um, he said, you know, so that's, um, he was like, you know, use this, you can go back to LA. And my mom was so afraid for me to go, you know, she was like, I want to ride back with you. Now I'm still got my habits. So I'm like, no, I want to go with my okay. friends. Cause I want to get high. I want to, you know, and I can't get high with her. And at this time she had relapsed after 13 years clean. She had relapsed on heroin. Mm-hmm. And so I just used that guilt on her. I was like, no, I don't want you to go. Cause you're going to be nodding. And it reminds me of when I was a kid and, you know, just anything I could say. And she's pawning things to get money because I ain't even got money to go back, you know. And she's, like, uh, fronting the bill and everything like that. So I was like, all right, all right. And everybody's flaking on me. So uh, yeah. I let her come to drive to L.A. with me. And um, we drove all the way there, spent the whole day. And I was so – I wanted to get high so bad, and I wanted to get rid of her that um, I bought her a ticket. They had, like, a welfare general relief uh, fund and I used that to buy her a ticket home and it was like at seven in the morning so she had to leave the motel at five in the morning mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even give her a ride I wouldn't even get a ride because I was I just couldn't be bothered I, I you know and I was so mean to her and my mom was real prideful and she was like she wouldn't beg she ain't gonna ask for a ride you know she would always say I ain't gonna kiss your a to get along with your face and um and I remember her coming Ooh, in I like that mom yeah. that? I'm not gonna kiss your ass to get along with your face yeah that's yeah, what I'm she said that. okay that <laughs> so yeah so she was like you know um, so, so that all that happened. And then I just remember that last day she was hugging me and she was like, you know, Sadie's, I love you. And I really can't remember everything she said to me. Mm-hmm. I remember her walking out the door and she had this black jacket and this little backpack. She had her little black leather jacket. And they, women, they love their little leather jackets, their black leather jackets. And, um, 
And I remember feeling the love, but, um, and I remember her just wanting to hold on, you know, not let me go. Um, what I didn't know is that's the last time I ever would see my mom again. Cause they found her. She overdosed on heroin about two months later. Mm. And all I could think about was how I treated her, you know? Now, did you find out two months later? Cause of what is what I'm, when I'm the story that we see and I'm, I'm seeing as you tell it to me mm-hmm. is you were in 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 the south. We would say strung out. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. I was twacked. I was baked. I was, I was like that drug dealer. That I mean, not that drug dealer. I was that dope fiend. I was definitely a dope fiend. I had I I I said it. The drug dealers would throw they throw the dope at me, drop it on the ground, you know, mm-hmm. and they would say like, wherever you came from, like you need to go back there. Like they, it was it was bad. So. Um, yeah, so I had talked, me and my mom talked every day. And in fact, the day before she died, what was messed up is something told me she was going to die. And, um, and I was like, I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. Cause I'm still a Christian. I'm a dope fiend. I'm yeah. all this stuff. I'm still a Christian. So I would like read the Bible. I was yeah. all to it, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's and a whole I was a bunch of them in the church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you yeah. know, and I'm one of them. And so, um, but I'm recovering now. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was, like, rebuke, rebuking that in the name of Jesus, and um, I didn't have any money to get any dope, and my mom had relapsed on heroin, like I said, and I knew if I told her, she would sell all her pills and um, and go buy a bag of heroin and give me the money, you know, the rest of the money. And so I had her do that the day before she died, and what carried a lot of guilt so long as she overdosed on that last bag that she bought. And I felt so responsible because I was like, you know, had I not asked her for that money, knowing mm-hmm. she would go sell her pills and get get three hundred dollars, spend twenty on her own bag, and send me two eighty, you know. But um, she wasn't. I thought she had went back to. She took you back down to L.A. and then came. No, she took me back to L.A. and she went back home to Portland. But she would Western Union me money because oh. I'm an active drag addict and would know I don't know how to take care of myself. I'm in, you know, if it ain't my mom, it's a man, you know. I mm-hmm. and I have no hustle. Like, and so, you know, I'm just a beggar. <laughs> Call me Felicia. Um, Bye. Yeah, right? You know, don't nobody want Felicia. Bye. Don't nobody want I mean, Felicia. I you right? are kind of light-skinned. Like yeah, her. yeah. Kinda... And I definitely look like her, yeah. you know, walking I mean, around. You... I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a bag. Walking around with no bra, a T-shirt. You know, sometimes I had shoes on. Sometimes I didn't. Now, is how was you... How was you showering at this point? Like, you didn't have a car. No, see, because I have um, what they call the disease of addiction, uh-huh. and it doesn't say a shower is necessary. Uh, and, you know, um, I've heard people say the disease of addiction is so strong, it don't take maternity leave. So if it don't take maternity leave, it don't take shower It don't, take, um, it don't shower even leave. take shower breaks. No, no, because you got to get a bag, you know. And, um, yeah, so who knows how long I had. And, you know, it was really bad. I still have scars on me because I had caught scabies at one time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I almost like did some real damage because I got in a psychosis. I was doing so much drugs that I would stay up for four or five days at a time. And I would start to see things like, um, I would see that monkey from the wizard of Oz and I thought it was chasing me. And, you know, it was, um, but it's not funny, but geez, it's, you know, but, but this is how it happens. So you ever hear about people like they kill themselves on meth or, you know, do something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my psychosis was like, Mercedes, you have to light yourself on fire to get rid of all these bugs you know, and I really don't know how that didn't happen. You know, I don't know if I didn't have the gasoline or what, but, but if that opportunity persisted, I would have been there, you know, and I would have done that. So, um, but yeah, so I was, um, so they, they told me my mom had died 
And I was like, no, I just was talking to her and I was all messed up. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, if I had any bit of sanity, it was gone after that. Like I stopped looking life in the eye because I was thinking, mom, I ain't bought you a house yet, you know, and I want to get you some land and I want to show you that our tribe is, you know, we win too. And, you know, and I want to be that, that, that man and, you know, love you the way these other men didn't love you even, but in a daughter way. And now you're gone. So, you know, what now? You know, and um, I just wandered the streets and just got as high as I possibly could get. And what ended up happening is I got kidnapped by um, some gang members, some Hoover gang members, and I was brutalized and I was assaulted. And um, and I was screaming. And I remember thinking, like, why isn't anybody calling the police? You know, I know they could hear me screaming help, but no one came until these girls came up and they drove up and I, they pulled up. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I remember begging for my life and saying my mom just died. And it was like they... It was like a blank stare. They didn't care about any of that. And um, and I remember the girl, she came up to me and she said, um, when I woke up this morning, I knew I was going to stomp a bee today. And I'm like, huh? And that's what they did. They stomped me out. I didn't know they part of it, that they was part of that whole gang. And um, and they took my, my, and at that time I had a phone and some, some clothes and some shoes and they took all that. And then I ended up barely getting away with my life. Um, I did escape. And um, I had a pair of pants, a ripped bra, no shirt, bite marks. My face was swollen, nose, eyes. You know, I'm bleeding. I got knots all over my head. And it just went down here from there. But eventually what I did was um, I called home and I said I needed help. And I called my best friend and my dad and they got me a ticket back to Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so twacked out. Nobody wanted me to stay with them because I would hold their bathroom hostage and I was stealing from everybody um, Cause they, you still you 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 still you still on the I'm still that, on that, that narcotic like I'm still on methamphetamine okay. yeah and so they um, nobody wanted me to stay with them and so I was homeless and I you know I just kind of wandered the streets and then I went downtown and I uh, I ended up just sleeping in doorways and on park benches and under the bridges and stuff the, mm-hmm. those bums that um, you know you think like you'll never be or you mm-hmm. see them with cardboard signs you be like how did they get like that those are the people that took care of me. And show me how to get through a winter because it snows out here, you know, yeah. and and um, and they saved my life. And then I ended up getting with a boyfriend who was like a drug dealer and uh, we stayed in a tent and um, and he. Yeah, he just kind of enabled me and all that happened. Um, and then what ended up happening was um, I, I got tired and I was like, if this is, you know, what I'm going to be, I want to die. This sounds like you said something to me, you know, when we were talking at the restaurant a while back, mm-hmm. right? You said, um, and it really stuck with me. You said, hell has an exit. Right. It, at what point, at, at what point did you realize I'm in hell? Okay. So. And then, and then, and then, when did you say, I need to get out of here? Because it, it, you, you. now it's some years have passed by. Some years have passed by. You, you, you was on Adderall. Then you you tasted oh, coke, and then you got to meth, and and that was you were in L.A. You had a, you you in L.A. you in L.A. with a degree, <laughs> right? Know, and like, I'm telling the people I got a degree right, at the crack the, house. You the smartest dope thing, right? In, on the, on the streets I'm, of South Central, right? Okay, but I'm right there with them, right? And then you come all the way back to Portland. Now you you're getting your master's degree in Portland streets. Okay. Yeah. That's what it sounds like okay, to me. Yeah. Like you like, but yeah, they, they took care of me. I went on to another level. Right. But you're still getting high, right? Still getting high. Okay. 
And um, and so, you know, I just got tired, and I will never forget it was Cinco de Mayo. And um, I just seen people walking around, and they had somewhere to go, and I knew that they had showered and they uh-huh. had jobs. And I felt like an animal so far removed from society. Mm-hmm. And um, I had got on my knees, and I prayed. And I said, God, you know, because I still believed in God. You know, I'd be preaching to other those things like, you know, God is real. And they'd be looking like, well, what, why he ain't doing nothing for you? You know? And so I got on, I said, you know, that prayer that, um, I've heard other people say like, God help me. Mm-hmm. And I said, and if you're not going to help me and you won't get me clean. Cause I was like, I'll do anything to be clean. Like, this is not the way my mom raised me. This is not what my tribe would have. Like, I don't want them to think this is how we live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, but you know, if you, if you can't get me clean, just kill me and make it not hurt. And, um, mm. and I continued to use for about three weeks, but what ended up happening is my boyfriend didn't come back with the drugs and I called my dad. And for whatever reason on this day, I remember my dad's number. I couldn't remember it for the life of me. And he answered the phone and he was like, where are you? You know, can I come see you? You don't have to stay. I just want to know you're okay. Now, the last time I seen him, he kicked me out cause I was stealing, you know? So I was like, oh sure. You know? And again, I'm by Felicia, so don't nobody want me to round. So the fact that he wants me around, you know, it feels good. And so I think, okay, I'm going to get him to feel bad for me. He'll give, me, give me some money. Yeah, he's going to give me $10. We're going to move on, you know, yeah. and I'm going to get my hit and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on going the way I go. And um, and what I ended up what ended up happening is I stayed there for three nights and I detoxed. And I didn't mean to. My little sister happened to be there. And she was like, um, sissy, don't leave, don't leave. And she was like, she reminded me of myself, like how desperate she was for my attention the way I was for my mom. And, and I remember I used to be like, I wish I was drugs because then my mom would care about me. Mm. You know, and so mm. seeing that in her and seeing that in her was like, I, I wanted to love her. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop doing drugs on the weekdays, get my stuff together, get a house. So, you know, I could, <laughs> this is how, <laughs> when you're on drugs, this is how you think. This is the hey, best idea you can come up with. Hey, you so know, I'm, just, I'm a transition. I'm just, you know, I'm going to be a social methamphetamine user. Just on, right, right. Just on, yeah. Saturday, just on Friday night, Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm going to go back to work Monday through Friday. Okay. And that's so right. So that's, that's my thinking. And, um, and she's just, she's just on me and, um, you know, I get my, um, I'm, or let's see, she, what she ended up doing, she said, um, she went to the bottom of her dresser and she pulled out a mason jar that had twenties, forties, fifties in oh, it. Lord. And she said, oh, no. she said, um, how much to make you stay sissy? And what went through in my mind at that moment was this beautiful little girl. She got the world in front of her. She could be anything she wants to be. Mm-hmm. She can have anything she wants to have. And she want to spend her money on this raggedy dope fiend that ain't showered in I don't know how long. And I would love to say, you know, that I had some get up in me and, you know, I had some pride and, you know, and I changed then. But you, you spent some of her, you spent some of her piggy bank money on. Let me tell you, the disease of addiction is stronger than the love I have for my mom, my sister, my tribe, myself, anything. And I looked at her and I said, $10. And I took it. And I had. Well, at least I, you spat her. You just only. <laughs> and I team. promised I would pay it back. You know what I mean? And um, and so she gave me $10, and I was like, okay, now I didn't secure the bag. So I'm going to spend time <laughs> with her. I got my $10. I'm cool, right? And so um, and I ended up spending more nights there, and then my nephew had a game. And um, he was just showing out in that game again, that desperation for attention. So you still didn't leave. You got I, the 10 in your pocket. I got the 10 in my pocket, so I know I'm cool. Just okay. the thought of to, knowing to I can know get that my you dope, go in, okay. I'm okay, you okay. know. And so um, so I, I got a little bit of withdrawals. And, um, and so for three days, I stayed there. Um, I get home. Or, um, my dad drops me off. I tell him I'm in the shelter. 
Uh, really, I'm in a tent across the street. He leaves, and I'm sitting. Um, I go in my tent, and I'm sitting there, and I got you know three days without dope, and I'm like, okay, okay, I'm itching. I'm ready for you know my boyfriend to come back so I could give him the money, and then like this feeling came over me like, you're clean. I gave you what you asked for, but not really a voice. It was just a feeling like you mm-hmm. got what you wanted. You asked to be clean, and now you got it. And I got out the tent, and it was hot, and I'll never forget about June second. And um, it smelled like a gerbil's cage. It was just tense everywhere. It was filthy. And another feeling came over me, and it was like, it's over. Life as you know it is over. And um, I remember, uh, you know, my, my partner and everybody came to the tent, and they, they got the dope. And, and normally I would, you know, I, this, was, this was what I was waiting for, but the words just came out, and it said, I don't, I don't think I ever want to do dope again. And they were all shocked. You know, but like more for me, cool. And so um, what I did is I went to a 12-step meeting that was um, a few blocks away. And um, and why I say hell has an exit, I remember when I went in there, I would carry that luggage bag around and the wheels have popped off. And so now I'm just dragging it and it got all my dirty clothes in it and I'm guarding it with my life because that's all I have. And um, I came in there and I knew that, you know, you'd be clean to get in there and you get like a, a key tag. And so I went in there and um, they were so loving and they were like, welcome. And they clapped for me and they were happy. And I seen uh, a man with a swastika tattoo on his head hugging a black person mm-hmm. and giving them a kiss. And like, it was like love. And I was like, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. and they would offer me a coffee. And I remember thinking, oh, if it's 50 cents, I only got 35 cents. I can't afford it. So I was like, no, nah, no, thank you. And they was like, no, the coffee's free. Like they, they already knew and they brought me cookies and they just said, keep coming back. And they said, there's another meeting here in a couple hours and you could stay, you know, and they let me stay. And they said, your bags are safe over there. They treated me like a human being. Like they didn't say, get them dirty bags out of here. You know, you're probably bringing bugs in here. They said, your bags is safe. You safe. And, um, and, and I stayed and I kept going and I stayed going to those meetings for, um, about a month before I got into treatment and um, because somebody suggested I get into treatment there and I was like, OK, how do I do it? And they, they walked me through the process. And one of those things why I say hell has an exit, the love that I got there, they gave me a service position and I was the coffee maker. And I didn't want to I wanted to be of service because they gave me so many things. I wanted to give something back. But um, but what but I hadn't showered and I was dirty, you know, and, and I was standing in soup lines and I was so afraid that when I make the coffee, somebody's going to say, oh, she's dirty. She's stank. I don't want her touching my coffee. But when I would uh, make it, they would come and they would say, this is good coffee. Mercedes, you make good coffee. We want you to always make our coffee. And I just felt like I'll do whatever to stay here, you know, and, um, and I got in a treatment and I remember that first night of treatment, I had prayed to get in and they gave me one towel, one uh, washcloth, one pillow, one cover, and one sheet. And they gave me a key to a little studio room. And I was so happy. And as soon as they closed the door, it like something clicked. Like, these people expect you to be clean for six months, you know. And you couldn't even be clean for six hours, you mm. know. And so I got on my knees and prayed. Because that's the one thing my mom always taught me to do. Don't ever be too proud to get on your knees and pray. You know, and I got on my knees and I said, God, I done talked myself into some stuff. I done convinced these people that I could stay clean and I know I can't. So you got to help me this time. You got to come through. I'll do anything you want me to do. Just keep me clean. And um, and I had every intention on getting housing and going and using again. But I went to these 12 step okay. meetings, you okay. know, 
And they said, um, they was like, get a sponsor and keep coming back and keep coming to meetings and be of service. And, um, and I would listen to these stories of these people who would go from park bench to park Avenue and, you know, from homeless to homeowners. And I wanted a part of it and they felt good about themselves. And it it was real though, you know, but this really happens here in our town. And, um, and I remember, um, a, a man talking about, he used to abuse, um, his, he abused younger children. Mm-hmm. And he no longer did it and um, and that he was freed from it and they welcomed him. And I, you know, and that just shocked me. And then I remember a woman talking about how she was a whore and she slept with men and she didn't know how many men she had slept with. And that's my story, mm-hmm. you know, and how she thought that a man would never marry her and how she was now married with two kids. And um, she was going to school to get her master's. And I thought, whatever it whatever it is that she has that's making her be that honest and, and God is working in her life like that. I want that. And, um, and so, and so I, I stayed a part of the fellowship and I eventually graduated treatment just like school. I stayed in there too long. I, uh, I was in there about 14, 15 months. I was always supposed to be there six. Um, and I got a job as a janitor and it was humbling. You know, I'd be mm-hmm. scrubbing, uh, toilets and floors and stuff like that. And I'd be crying like, how did my life get like this? And then I'd be like, but thank you God, you got me clean, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it was hard and just catching the bus and stuff. And. Um, and, and I remember water getting in my shoes and not having money to buy shoes and, um, and then going to the meetings and talking about it. And they, and someone come, came up to me and, um, said I could get a job as a housing specialist, helping domestic, uh, women in domestic violence, leave their abusers. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And, um, and, and that's where I met you because, you know, I seen you in that meeting that you held, you know, and I went and um, it just, you know, it just made it opened the doors to me. Nobody knew my story, but it, it felt like I belonged in these kind of settings, you know, um, helping people. Um, I knew I wanted to be in policy and kind of move on. And that job ended up not working out. And um, I remember I was like just throwing up before I went to that job because it got that toxic in that environment. Because sometimes that happens in nonprofits. Like we, we abuse yeah. each other, you know. And, um, and my mentor, my spiritual mentor said, how long are you going to do this, you so- know. Um, so, so you were <clears throat> you were a housing specialist mm-hmm. for a nonprofit. Yeah. So let's just let's just recap a little bit. So you mm-hmm. you you were the Gates Scholar. Mm-hmm. I think I remember knowing this about you. You were also a, a Rose Festival Princess. Rose yeah. Festival Princess. That's a big deal here in the state of Oregon, the city of Portland, especially. Yeah. Um, there, how many of those are there every year? Maybe ten or twenty. Um, I don't know how many. I think it was about twelve or fourteen. Twelve or fourteen. So, uh, out of all the ladies in the city, you were selected selected to be royalty. Yeah. Yeah, and then you being black and native, I imagine that here in Portland, it was mostly white girls that was princesses. So you was like extra. Yeah, there was three of us of color. Two were Asian, mm-hmm. and then there was me. All right. So then we went. We go. Uh, we get the scholarship. Along with the scholarship, we get enrolled in school. We develop the, the prescription drug habit. Mm-hmm. It transitions over to more illicit and hard drugs. Mm-hmm. You lose your mom in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, the mom who, when you were younger, I thought I heard you tell me in another conversation, you didn't necessarily believe on God when you was when I was little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe in God. I would laugh at her when she would pray. But 
I like she would say the serenity prayer because she had made it to the 12 step rooms. I remember them putting an eviction on our door mm -hmm. and turning off the water. She was like, God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. I knew that prayer as a child because of her. And I'd be like, you're crazy. You, you're praying and like we're about to get kicked out. We have no water, mama. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, she would say, get thee behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. She was that strong in her faith. And, and I know that she's in heaven because, you know, like it says, like she fought the good fight, mm -hmm. you know, didn't say she won, but she fought, she showed up, she suited up, she showed up. Yeah. So she, so she gets points for the effort for showing oh, yeah. up, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Staying in the ring. And she'd always say, yeah, I take a licking and keep on ticking. Cause she, that was life for her. She's 50% you. I mean, you're 50% her. 50% her. So yeah, you definitely have taken the licking and, uh, you definitely don't look like what you would expect someone to look like with that right. story. Right. With, right. The, with that kind of story. So, so now, so now we're at the place where you're, you, you crying, you got, you, you were in the, um, in treatment. In I'm, treatment. I'm no longer living in a tent. Mm -hmm. I'm clean. I'm a housing specialist. I meet mm -hmm. people like you, you know, um, professionals out here and, um, but the job's not working out and, um, my spiritual mentor told me I could quit. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, no, that's, that's for, for the privileged folks. I, mm -hmm. you know, my mom said the best thing that could ever happen to me is I get a city job, you know what I mean? And, and be able to retire. So I was like, I can't do that. Like I got to retire here. Mm -hmm. And I was so loyal to it. But, um, but amongst working, some working spiritually within myself, cause we got a, a, a saying in the 12 step programs and we say it's an inside job. And when you work on your inside and you practice certain principles and character, you can do whatever you want to do. You're not bound or, you know, slave to $18 an hour. And that's a cheap price, you know what I mean, to sell yourself um, for. And that's what I was doing. And um, and so I quit and I um, I, I was practicing honesty, the spiritual principle of honesty. That's yeah. what they tell us. Come and, on. Um, and so I applied for a job and my, uh, my spiritual mentor said, well, you know, look at the job, make sure you don't look at the title, how much you get paid, um, how much it gets paid. Just make sure you could do that job description. And she was like, and one more thing, make sure you don't lie on your resume or cover letter. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a big deal because everything after my name, my phone number, my email and address was a lie. You know, I'm not punctual. I'm not on time. I don't work well with others. I don't, you know, <laughs> none of those things, but I'm saying it right. Yeah. And so, you know, but now I'm telling them I'm honest, I'm open-minded, I'm willing, you know, um, I'm resilient, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a self-starter. I'm positive, you know, cause I can deliver on that. And I ended up getting that job and um, it's at a native American organization. And what was so big about that is that if I wasn't honest, you know, and I wasn't who I was, then I wouldn't feel like I was deserving of this. But I know this is where I'm supposed to be because I was I was honest about my addiction. I was honest about, um, you know, my what I did know and what I didn't know. And I felt like I wouldn't get this position because I was half black. And this is a Native American organization in this position. It's in government affairs. And I didn't know if they would trust me. Um, but I said, you know, I my mom was, you know, she's Native American. She taught me our ways. So I knew, unlike other, you know, applicants, they may or may not know you know, the ways to gain and get the trust of other tribes. But I knew I did. And if they gave me a chance, I knew that I had the skills and I could connect early on and um, get in those places, you know, and occupy those spaces. And, and I was hired and that's where I work now. You sound like you're very resourceful too. You, you I wonder if your time uh, in hell 
before you got on the exit, the exit ramp, mm-hmm. taught you a little bit about resourcefulness too. Yeah, because you got to use everything. You know, in those in those rooms, everybody just really, you know, um, helps each other. We learn one thing they told us is we don't suffer from a moral deficiency. We're sick, just like people who have cancer. And um, you can't get rid of it. It's in there, but you can go, you can treat it. And there's maintenance you don't use. And, you know, you you visit these 12-step meetings. And so that's that's definitely my life. And how I got into this podcast is I had so many things and so many lessons I had learned all, the, you know, all this way. It, like, hit me. Other people need to hear it because people are dying. I thought my only way out was suicide. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And Mercedes' second chance is what popped up. Like, this is my second chance. I'm going to make it count. It sounds like, honestly, it's definitely a second chance, but it really sounds like a fifth, sixth, <laughs> eighth chance. You know, and, and, you know, but I, yeah. I feel like what I hear you saying is that we fall down seven times, we get up eight. Like, you're never out. You're never out until you're out for good. Right. So I I, I commend your efforts. Um, and I wonder, there's a poem you referenced about footsteps. Yeah, the footprints in the sand. Footprints in the sand. Can you tell me a little bit more about that as we close? Um, yeah, I was talking to you about that because my mom, she always had this um, this this portrait with some footprints in the sand. It had uh, it had two and then it, two sets and then it had one and it had words. And um, I would always ask her why she liked it. She would take it every. We were homeless and she kept that picture. Mm-hmm. And um, and I didn't re- I never read it until as an adult. And um, the person asked God, like, you know, you used to walk with me. And those were the two sets. And um, but when my darkest times happened, you know, it's only one. Why did you leave me? And then Uh he said, that's when I carried you. And like, that's how I feel. You know, like I was supposed to die out there. Many times I almost lost my life near death experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, but I didn't. That's why I really call it my second chance, you know, because I get it now. So. I believe, if if I if I may, God builds the capacity in us for things that are we're predestined for. I believe that there's a scripture that says, uh, "Before I formed you, I knew you, mm-hmm. and I predestined you." Yeah. Like so, God already. I don't think anything catches God off guard. No. So, so, I just want to encourage you to keep going. Yeah. Keep growing. You're doing so great. I, I, I love having you as a friend and, and, and colleague out here in the governmental advocacy space. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing so many great things and you're an example for so many. So, mm-hmm. And I do want to say this. Please. This is like the last um, thing I want people to know is um, so, you know, I, I identify, you know, I don't, I, I won't really say I identify. I believe in like a lot of things and I get different things from different religions. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want people to think like, Oh, this is so churchy or, you know, and feel like they can't get anything from it. And what I will say is what they told me in the rooms where they, where I found my exit is they said, um, if you got a problem with God, be grateful. God ain't got a problem with you. Hey now. Okay. And so then I was like, Oh, you know, and, and, there are people who don't believe because they're hurting. And I just want them to know like, God loves you. I remember people used to be corny. They'd be like, we want to let you know how much God loves you. And I'd be like, you know, but you know what I mean? But it's true. And, and, and he's for us and you don't have to do it alone. That's the biggest lie that that enemy tells you so that you will eventually, you know, be jumping off that cliff. 
And um, I'm here. If I can help it, I'm going to stop you. Like that lady that wrote that letter that said, if you want to, you know, kill yourself successfully, this is how you do it. And she said, but I'm here, you know, because I was once like you and I want to let you know God loves you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I would be like that one day, but I want to save lives. You are. Yeah. Number one, you started with your own. That's right. So it's only up from here. Right. Only up. I mean. It's, 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 it's bumps in the road, but I don't I don't have to lose everything, you know. You, right. Yeah. Right. I got a toolbox now. A tool kit. A yeah. toolbox. Yeah. Oh. Whew. Is there any, any let's see, I, well, you, you told me about the footsteps. I really want to hear about that. I suspected that it was the poem about, you know, at one point you guy was carrying you. Um, at one, you used to tell me, or you mentioned to me at one point in time that when you were younger, you was like, "If it's a guy, they ain't for me." Yeah. Now I, I'm like you. I, I'm, I'm a Christianity was probably my gateway, mm-hmm. but I'm more of a. I like to use the term universe or uh, divine energy, source energy. Um, do you feel like now? that source energy is still against you? I don't. I don't think it was ever against me. I think what what that that um, com- that friction was, mm-hmm. was me resisting. Yeah. As soon as I stopped resisting, I, like, I float like a feather. Well, that feels like, to me, a real good place to put a comma or a semicolon. Right. Um. And let's not resist the uh, the timer that has indicated for us that we might be out of time for the day. There we go. All right. Well, thank you. You're very welcome, Mercedes. I can't wait. Hopefully, I'll get to come back and uh, chat with you a little bit more. Oh, yeah, you will. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and visit our website at mercedessecondchance.com.